Long before Roger Whiteside became the chief exec of Greggs, he was in the management trainee scheme at Marks & Spencer. You had to learn to do it the M&S way if you wanted to compete within the M&S structure to get up the ladder. The culture there at the time was, was military, I would say. It was mm. that type of culture where basically um, you know, they would lose 50% of graduates because they wouldn't conform, effectively. You had to do it their way. Um, what was their way? Tell me what that was. There were certain rules, if you like, around... Um, you had to basically toe the line. Now, very alpha. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was, in some ways, in a very intimidating culture. One of the reasons I did well is because actually I found a way of not conforming, but just at the point where they didn't. Catch you out. I was the same. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I did best when I stood out by not conforming, yes. but not to the point where they would say, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's completely off the page. He's so a radical. It's all those things that you put in your book, and I, I recognise all those things. The guy, you have to go for a drink with the manager after work, even though you don't want to. You know, um, have the, to put the hours in. You have to put the hours in. That presenteeism, be the first in, be the last out, just to show that you were committed and all of that sort of stuff. And I didn't play that game as much as others because I, I saw others who did well who didn't do it either who, who said look you know, I'm going early judge me by my results you know and they were sort of brave enough to do stuff like that and so I took hints from the people I could see doing that and um, some of those were men and some were, some were women um, and uh, how many know, women on the board no no very few yeah. uh, and, uh, how many the, I think it was just I think it was just one I think yeah. it was just the HR director the of course HR was she pouring the coffee that was Roger Whiteside, Chief Executive of Greggs. I am Emily Bryce Perkins, Culture Director of Portas Agency, and this is the Work Like a Woman podcast. Now, I'm sitting in the attic, but this week I'm on my own because Mary is on holiday and I am about to ruin it. Let's see if she's around. To Emily Bryce Perkins, you're in big trouble. <laughs> Because this is meant to be my sabbatical schmatical and nothing's happening. Every day I get a phone call from you lot in the office. <laughs> we miss you, Mary. We miss you. The thing is, I rather do enjoy it still. I couldn't be solo, lono, on my own <laughs> for too long, though. <laughs> well, you do have Walter the dog, don't you? No, but I have found myself speaking to myself. I talk to myself. I'm like, oh, I'm done, I'm And then I'm going to do this. And I'm like, oh, you've lost the plot, Porter. <laughs> I've got Walter's, Walter's lying next to me and he's had two teeth extracted and his oh. face looks like one of the meerkats now. Oh, no. He's got a little sort of caved-in little jewelry little thing. And I don't mean to say you're not handsome, Walter. You still are very handsome. <laughs> but, you know, two teeth have been taken out. Oh, bless him. Um, how's I your know. week been? It's been really good. Yeah. I've been, doing, I've been doing good things, like hanging pictures and painting vases. So let's dive into what's going on in the news this week. Uh, Mary, did you see that Stella Creasy wrote that fascinating article about how, as an MP, she's not entitled to maternity leave? What was interesting is that she'd miscarried a couple of times. And this time, she's not 100% sure you never are that it's going to be safe. But she's had to talk about that. She's had to say, look, I'm pregnant and I'm hoping this one's going to be okay." And you just have to go through all that personal stuff when you're in the public eye as well. And you think this is just pants, really. We are in 2019 and still still discussing the fact. And they probably hadn't been, you know, how many women uh, politicians, we looked at this, we talked about this at the beginning of the last podcast when I counted how many were, you know, in, in Parliament when I was in that day. 
and you realise that they probably haven't had to deal with this before because it's normally chaps, <laughs> normally chaps who are politicians. I mean, look at those gorgeous five men that were in the debate that we saw this week. <laughs> Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, oh. Jeremy Hunt, Sajid, and what was the other one? You and I'm like, seriously, that is the face of politics. Men in suits still to this day. I'm all sitting with their legs at a wide shape, sitting on those stools, being interviewed by Emily Maitlis. You know, I just thought, that's what we've come to. But none of them were worrying about the childcare, were they? None of them no, were having to run out. No, I worrying about, yeah, we're here tonight doing this debate. I wonder who's putting the kids to bed. I was proud of her. You know, that piece that she wrote, um, I think it was in The Guardian, and she did use some quite heavy language around it. I thought, we have to we have to do that. We have to push it this far. And there is a fact that, you know, there's, there's women that are, you know, bleeding and miscarrying and still having mm. to go and vote. It's just, you know, I think we do need to put the language together and I think and I that for me it was a sort of quite a visceral piece and it, it really kind of it resonated a lot so good on you Stella yeah so let's talk about our guest this week we've got a man an actual human man Roger Whiteside Roger is the chief exec of Greg's Greg's the baker and I have this real theory and I, we talk about this but that I believe that businesses that have a kind of pure intent that doesn't mean they don't have a commercial intent but businesses that behave well respect their people, put decency, put decent values at the heart of them. You feel that as a consumer at the other end. Yeah. And I am sure that is why Greg's is so successful, that there are decent values at the heart of it. And that runs through, not only does it run through the the, the way that they connect and, and, and speak to you, the way the brand does, where you feel there's an honesty behind it, but you feel it through the people. And if the people are happy and joyous, you feel that energy that comes through because they're working in a place that's treating them like decent humans. And um, he was just very inspiring. But, you know, he was very humble as well. Very humble. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like that. And, and he, didn't, he didn't talk about any great big strategy. He was just doing this as an innate way of um, feeling that this was, this was the right thing to do. He was yeah. instinctively connecting to who he was as a decent human being. And which so often doesn't happen in business you know so often we feel we've got to be something else and yeah. behave uh, in this this kind of alpha way within business and he didn't he was it was a breath of fresh air yeah he really was bless him. it didn't bring us any sausage rolls though did no it? he bloody didn't <laughs> or a vegan one i mean how cheap is that <laughs> um so we'll hear from roger in a second but i think i hear the knock is that a knock at the door mary you yes. need to get to the attic you need to come to the attic there's a knock at the door I'm on my way, in my wellies. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Julie Baker, Head of Enterprise and Community Finance at NatWest. Oh, that's one big title, Julie Baker. Julie Baker, tell me how you at NatWest work like a woman. I am working on something really exciting at the moment, and you may have seen it on International Women's Day this year. We launched the Rose Review, and what the Rose Review did was highlight the barriers to females in entrepreneurship. And one of the key ones, as we know, is around access to finance and access to funding. So we're doing lots of work with, in collaboration with lots of partners, including British Business Bank, including some of our customers and entrepreneurs, working on how we can get some solutions to market. Well done, Julie. Thank you, Julie, from NatWest. To find out more, just search NatWest Rethinking Business. And now, here's Roger. 
So the, the DNA of the business comes from its founder, and uh, that was Ian Gregg, he was a, he was a man with philanthropic attitudes, who, who put into place values in the business that were then developed and, and grew with Sir Michael Darrington, who was the chief executive for about 25 years, and took the business from flirt- flirtation through to through to over a thousand shops and you know made Greg's the, the household name it is today and what I've done subsequently is is tried to move it on again to be relevant still to customers in the modern age and the thing that I've worried about most in making that transformation is that I in some way ruin what I call the magic dust the <laughs> the special uh, affection there is for the brand because of its sort of Almost amateurish status, do you follow me? Yeah, it's I do. Because it was a yeah. devolved business structure. So it was um, local bakeries looking after their local shops, lots of local decision-making. And what we've done in the last uh, six years is centralize it uh, and systemize it and process it and put all the things in place that you need to, to be effective, effective competitor today in today's marketplace. And in making all those changes, the bit that I was worried most about was that people would start to feel differently about Greg's as a result of it. But do you let each of the individual um, shops have a free reign? So you, you've devolved a lot and you've put in central processes, but have you also given them freedom to be, um, you know, as they are? No, less freedom. That's the oh. point. Less freedom. We've gone to a centralised system, which means that um, in the, you know, go back a couple of years, the shops would have ordered all their own food and materials, in, ingredients. Because we make food fresh on the premises. So the shops used, the manager would order what they wanted, what they believed they needed to sell in the following yeah. days. All of that has stopped. We've centralized all that. We've gone to central forecasting and replenishment using, you know, modern um, ERP platforms and all those things that retailers have had for, for a long time that Greg's hadn't deployed because it was it was managing a... A, um, a distributed yeah. structure and in that sense um, there was a danger that when you make those changes that people feel like they don't have the same level of ownership yeah. in their shop so we've had to work really hard to try and make people see the benefits of that because we wanted to release that time so they could spend their time front of house with the customers well that's why it's worked so because we've delivered on that the sentiment behind that change has remained positive Yes. Um, and now but you've the, taken them with you, haven't you? Yeah, that's the point. Trying to take people with you because you treat them properly and you keep them well informed and you explain why you're doing it. And they understand the why, not just the what. <laughs> um, so people want to know nowadays why we do stuff. Uh, they're not just prepared to be told to do stuff. Carrying your people with you is the most important thing, um, ultimately. And clearly, if you're doing the wrong thing, then it won't work. But as long as you've, you're doing something that in retail is around meeting customers' needs, then... Um, having people alongside you all believing that that's what you're doing is the right thing to do both commercially and if you like in the way that you do it is immensely powerful and it comes through in the way people feel about the brand it so does and it, you've got a very profitable and commercial brand i mean I, i've written my book about this and i've done it in my agency and people go is it profitable and you go yes it is but i'm an agency of just over 50 people and they're going, oh can you do this in a big corporation can you be kind can you put people first can you put, you know, proper working structures that made people's lives and flexible and empower women? Can you do that? And yes, you can is the answer. But, you know, you and I have been in the retail business, which is a tough old bird of a business, mm. isn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, it? It really is, isn't it? You, you went on to the management training scheme for Marks and Spencers. I got turned down. Uh, I applied for that. <laughs> I, I think I went in with yellow hair at the time. <laughs> 
was going through a little bit of the punk movement, and I think maybe they thought, nah. Maybe, yes. Well, it was very much... Um, I can remember going into Marks & Spencer. I mean, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do when I left university. In fact... Where did you go to university? I'm 60 now, and I still don't know what I want to do when I leave school. You know, it's one of those. <laughs> Same here, but that's so, the joy, isn't it? Take each day as a time. So you just take each day as it comes. And basically, I joined Marks & Spencer because they offered me a job, and it seemed, it seemed the best didn't of the ones. Didn't you lie that, about your age as well to get on? No, that was to get my first job. Ah. That was when I was nine. I lied and said I was 12. But anyway... Um, <laughs> I'm lying about my age now, but it's not going up, love, let me tell you. <laughs> Did you ever think, oh, you know, connect culture with commerce or kindness with commerce at any time thinking, if I get the culture right here, I believe, if I inspire people, if I create a place that is based on a work that has got joy and, and mutual respect and collaboration at the heart of it, that is going to create an energy that will deliver best practice from my people. Therefore, I will get a profitable business. Did you ever make that connection? No, because I just don't think like that. No, <laughs> I don't okay. think I don't think things through like that. I just do what I think is common sense. Instinctive. Yeah. So basically, um, do you ever use that word instinct? Yes. Uh, I'd like to be more instinctive than I am. You know, at the end of the day, I'm more, as I said in my, I'm more. Spock than I am Kirk you know I, I, I do need I know it says he is isn't it <laughs> I do yes he is yeah, definitely he's got yeah. wonderful ears you can't see but he has got just wonderful ears Roger I yes well they're certainly them. on show let's put it that way anyway, um, <laughs> so <laughs> I want to touch them do you want to touch them ears <laughs> okay later. we're not that touch <laughs> afterwards we'll do the video <laughs> later yeah no um so <laughs> So Mark. yes, no, I've never thought, I don't think things through like that. I, I'm not a management theorist. I don't really read management theory books. I just do what I think uh, makes sense. Um, and one of the things that makes sense to me is that um, you don't have to behave anything other than normally and kindly and, you know, how you would with your family or your friends. Why do you change your personality when you go to work? I don't get that. Um, You're so right. And that, last night I did this talk and it was a very sort of, you know, serious. Well, it was a, the alumni of Oxford uh, University. And I thought, OK, you've got to pare it down a bit. And then I thought, no, what? I'm not going to pare it down. I had the best evening. And then this woman put up her hand and she said, um, Anita Roddick said this once. And I thought, oh, gosh, I wish I put this in the book. She said, I've known many a man at home to be charming, a great father, kind, compassionate. He gets to the boardroom and he just takes off that persona and That's becomes right. someone else. That's right. That's absolutely right. And I've seen that everywhere. Um, but people often say, yeah, he's a great bloke. Um, personally, I love him, but I can't stand working for him. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's that fact that they, they sort of put on a different personality whatever it is because they feel they have to to succeed in that competitive environment exactly. I guess exactly and, I, and, and culturally that's reinforced if, I mean I can remember somebody told me a story once I, tell, I won't tell you which retailer but it, was, it wasn't Marx but someone was because I was get, talking to somebody about the culture at Marx and how scary it was going into the boardroom for example yeah. where everybody was like this. it's what I imagine the cabinet office is like oh, it is you know where everybody's got their own agenda as yeah. well as in theory the you know the, the, the common agenda. Um, and so that makes life much more complicated. And um, this person told me that there was the board that he was a member of, two members of the board, it was always seven o'clock in the morning or something on a Monday, because that's the other thing about retail. They seem to think that the earlier you can hold the meeting on yeah. a Monday, the better. So it'll just say, great when you've got two kids that you need yeah, to absolutely. get to nursery. Potty. And, and you've got no information anyway. So basically Nothing. you're requiring, that means everybody else who provides you with the information has to get in at stupid o'clock in the morning or the, or the night before. So the Sunday dread feeling. So I stopped oh. all that. As soon, oh. soon as I got involved God. in 
being anything in power. I stopped all that, so we don't have the meetings. Sunday dread feeling. You brought it back. Oh, just I feel horrific. a bit nauseous just sitting here thinking of that. <laughs> but this, in this other retail, I was told that two members of the board, male members of the board, because they were mostly male, I think, um, would go to the men's toilets and be physically sick <gasps> ahead of the meeting. Oh. I think, wow. I mean, okay, now that's that's a culture I've never I've never yeah. encountered something quite that as tough as that. That makes me really that, feel sad because it was such a. Such a sort of yeah. a competitive and, uh, uh, I suppose, alpha environment where they're all, yeah. you know, looking to score points off each other as much as, you know, advance the business, which mm. to me is just, that's a totally negative environment to be in. So, listening to you, Roger, you're a man who doesn't read all these books and I can understand you're an instinctive player and, and that's got you where you are. And luckily, you've got a team of people who are working with you um, and enjoying the rays of your sunshine. So you believe in gender equality, that it should be a priority for all businesses. Um, and of course, I, I knew you would. But you also believe, Roger, that, that businesses need to maximise and nurture the in-house talent as well. So talk to me about that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I'm wanting everybody to do as well as they can. That's, mm. that's my broad approach to people. Um, and sometimes... Uh, that can't be within the business they work in because the business they work in can only offer up so many opportunities in the time frame they're looking to take the next step. So um, I've I've always said, well, as far as I'm concerned, we'll invest behind everybody who wants to advance. And if they if it happens to be that the opportunity presents itself in the business we're running at the time, then great. But if it doesn't, then um, we'll we'll actually help that person make the step outside of the business, which a lot of businesses would say, oh, hang on a minute, why are you investing all that time and effort yeah. and money in, in, in someone you know, then not you might not retain? But I always think, well, eventually, they may well come back at the end of the day. But I want people to advance and be the best they can be. Not, But not everybody can be the chief executive. Of it's, course. It's just the way it works. So but we need brilliant foot soldiers as well, don't we? We, we just need <clears throat> brilliant everythings. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always taken by uh, I'm saying to... Someone recently, I, I don't know who this is attributed to really, but I think someone attributed it to Abraham Lincoln. He may have been Abraham Lincoln who said it, but whatever you are in, the, in life, try and be a good one. It's true. Um, and I basically believe in that. So, you know, I've, the people that inspire me most, the, the people who do a fantastic job day to day at the front line of retail operations. They're the ones who I always have admiration for because I'm actually not very good at that. You know, they had to move me from shops pretty quickly. Because <laughs> that's not my forte. Um, forte? I'm not patient enough uh, for, patient uh, and accommodating enough to, 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 to deliver the friendly service that you need to deliver, fast, friendly service in a retail environment. That's really demanding. It's like being, to do it well, you've got to be, it's like being on the show and doing, doing miserably day in, day out, two performances a day, you know, and yeah. always make it sound like it was the first time you ever did it. Yeah. That, That's tough. That is really tough. You know, and um, our, you know, I meet people who do that really day in, day out at five o'clock in the morning all the way, you know. I was recording one of my secret shopper shows and I was um, filming in this fast fashion shop where these girls were just, you could tell the guy who owned it was just making money, didn't care about their hours, how they worked. You know, it was meant mm. to be fast fashion. It was deeply dull. It was hard work. It was just putting clothes out on the rails. It was doing the fitting rooms. Mm. And all they used to say when anyone came was three outfits only. And I'd say, why are you saying that? And they because they steal. The boss had told them that, you know, just watch for stealing. So the whole premise mm. for for them being at the front line was everybody's a thief. Yeah, Keep yeah. the you make sure that we're keeping the losses down. Yeah, well that's what I call the tension that you're always managing in retail. Well I think probably in business generally, but I don't only know really about retail. Um, is that 
that that need to be commercially successful and yet balancing that with decisions that are commercially suboptimal <laughs> so that's that's normally a trade-off between short term and long term so mm -hmm. you know that you ought to be moving in a certain direction the pace at which you move in that direction if you move too quickly you won't make money and you won't be there to fulfill the mission in the first, in the end eventually so you you're looking to be commercially successful whilst doing it the right way and that is a tension that is really difficult to do and if you come under competitive pressure that's when the values get that get put yeah, under pressure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so Marks and Spencer had fantastic values. The way it treated Massive. its people was brilliant from the founders. That came from the founders of that business. I loved working for Marks and Spencer because it treated people really well. It was it was a pioneer with things like, you know, providing services to, to employees in the shops and with um, the discounts and the free meals and all that sort of stuff. The fact that we would do no quibble guarantees when nobody else used to yes. do that. All of that was... A demonstration that, that business had really strong values, and the difficulty came when the and it, whilst it was successful, it can continue reinforcing those things. Being avuncular, and yes, I'm there. <laughs> and to I look can see after. it now in the John yes. Lewis Partners, another business I've worked with. There's fantastic values in the John Lewis Partners. I love that business. Yeah. Um, but as it comes under pressure, you can feel them having to deal with the commercial realities and yet still live to the values. So, and that's more difficult to achieve when you're under pressure. People can see that you're having to make decisions that you know, in the old days you wouldn't have made. And that change in itself is interpreted as the business losing sight of its core values and all of those sorts of things. And it's a real tension. And I can imagine that Tesco, as it came under pressure, started to look for ways of making commercial success that put those values under pressure. But I, I don't think that oh, at its heart, um, that business had poor values. I think basically it, it came under more pressure to, to perform and then it started to, it stepped over the line. People stepped over the line in some ways that tried to get to those, to get to those numbers. And now it's coming back. Um, so we're all trying to ride that tightrope of <laughs> being commercially successful and yet wanting to do the right thing. And have you had to ride that tightrope? Yeah, I'm doing it now at Greg's. Uh I know ways in which I could make Greg's better now from a corporate social responsibility perspective, even though we are held in high regard in all those areas. But I know that there's a tipping point being reached. I can sense it. We all know it. Basically, consumers, and that's what you need, the customers are waking up to the fact that we can't carry on doing it this way. It's been a hell of a party since the Industrial Revolution, but it's not sustainable. So, in the end, pressure is building now to do it a different way. And brands will be rewarded if they're seen as wanting to do their part and play their part. In what? Play their part in, in what? In doing business in a more sustainable way. In a good way. In a good way, Doing yeah. good, work, good work. Doing yeah. good business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the other thing. You don't have to invent the wheel, by the way. It's all there. Just go to the United Nations, 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Just get after them. Yeah, it's so true. Also... When did growth just become economic growth the only benchmark for success? Because lots of businesses could still remain profitable, still keep... What is this growth thing that came in that just keeps being... For that, you need to talk to an economist. But, I um, have many. But, I so, uh, I, in theory, I'm an economist because I've got a degree in it. But uh, I don't think I've looked at an economics book since I put one down when I was 21 years old. But basically... Um, Without growth, how do you raise living standards for those who want to raise their living standards? That's the point. Without redistributing that 
wealth from the top down. So if the top don't want to bring it, don't want to just divide it down, then how do you make people who don't have everything they want in life aspire to get that? How would you do that without growth? I don't know is the answer. So, you know, it's, it's one of those questions which I need someone with a bigger brain than me to work out. But in the meantime, I'll try to keep selling sausage rolls. You know. You'll sell sausage rolls with soul, sausage rolls with soul. Yeah. And you believe that the future is going to be around us doing good business that's good for the world and, and good for us as people. A right. real symbiotic. And that's the future. And actually, that's what I genuinely believe that's a, what a modern business of the future is going to be. Definitely, and we're seeing, yes. Yeah. We're the, seeing the next That's generation. what the kids want today. When, pe- when, when young people today come looking where they're going to work, they want to know that that business has got some, some value, some purpose, some you know, answer the why question, as, as someone was explaining last night. Why are we doing this? You're not Simon not just to make money, solved. by the way, because that, if that's the answer, that's not the answer. <laughs> exactly. Roger, we were saying earlier about, uh, we were talking earlier before uh, about flexible working and how that's obviously something that's on the rise with, with the younger crew. But you were, made a really good point that we can sit here and, you know, we work in a creative agency at Portas and, we, and you know, it's easy for me to work flexibly. But actually, you raised a really good point that a lot of the people that work for you, that's actually really difficult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, I, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm an advocate of flexible working. In fact, I, I hold myself up as an example of a flexible worker because of the fact that I'm based in Newcastle and have a family home in Berkshire. It means I'm only up there for three days of the week. And then I, I work from the south um, in, the, in the Thursday and the Friday week, typically traveling around from the south or working from home in the south or whatever it is I'm doing, which, which shows that the people have permission to do it that way because the boss is doing it that way. You know? so, but I always think, and I read about all this flexible working stuff, it's, it, it's easy in a management environment hmm. where you're not at the front line. It's the front line environment where it's more challenging. How do you introduce flexible working practices when people are required to be stood on a till or be on a production line or on a contact center, a call center? It's it's much more difficult. So there, you try and do it through through shift patterns and yes. you know rotors and all those things. And obviously, part time working is a massive feature of uh, of retail. I, I read a really good case study by, by Frederick Lalou, who wrote a, a, a brilliant book on on, on business practices, and uh, he was showing that you can actually give the responsibility to a team of people it's like they work it out between yeah, them yeah. it's like you know mothers on uh, school gates going can you pick little Jimmy yeah, yeah, up exactly. or whatever yeah, and yeah. I think there is a there is a, a trust that you go okay yeah. there you are Guildford Greggs work it out between you what's going to work the exactly best right. and, and that I think um, part of the reason why uh, people say they like working for Greggs is that our culturally we're more attuned to that than, than many others so it's, it's very much you know whilst I've said it's a centralized business in the sense of ranging and pricing and that sort of stuff the shop operation is localized it's all about a great manager managing a great you know a team of people typically about 10 people and being being accommodating and flexible and someone who can who can um you know give and take with with the needs of the team and keep the team happy mm-hmm. if you can do that then people will stay with you because one of the big things in retail is the extent of turnover you know people leaving jobs all the time massive um industry in <laughs> just re-employing people over and over and over again uh, as they all move around and it's it's worth still in 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 the leisure sector. So um, finding a way of making people happy at work just makes economic sense, doesn't it? So mm-hmm. um, if you can give your find a way of giving your managers local um, you know, autonomy autonomy in the sense that they can you know they know what they have to achieve overall, but they can flex and ask someone to cover for somebody else and all that. And all of that happens um, in the Greg's environment. I'm pleased to say. Roger Whiteside, thank you for joining us today and for working like a woman or working like Roger.
I think I heard uh, an earlier point, Working Like a Human, basically. That's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> I know I could have called the book Working Like a Decent Human Being. Yeah, that's uh, it. But I'm not sure I'd have broken through enough. <laughs> no, yeah, sure. So that was Roger Whiteside, our first man on the podcast. What do you reckon of him? Won't be our last. Won't be no, our last. No, will not be our last. No. What's been interesting since I've started this is um, uh, so many men have told me how they work and would love to chat. Um, so I think we've got a little list coming up for we our do. We do. We're building a list. Mm, I think um, he was, yeah, he was so, he's really calm. And it's interesting how he said that, you know, he doesn't read business books or anything like that. And, and that is all on instinct. I don't think he quite realised that before he was talking to us necessarily. But no, yeah, it was instinct. But there was a great humility where he didn't have to boast or sound like he was larging it, you know, at yeah. all, at all. And um, it just was truthful. Oh, I don't, I haven't really read that. I don't know about that. Um, and this was a man who was just, yes, exactly that. He was connected to who he was and he was doing what he thought was the right thing. He followed his instinct. I'm going to actually, that my quote that I'm going to do at the end, you know how I love to do a little quote. We do, um, we know. Because I think it goes to the heart and you remember and it, or it touches you. It just even if it's fleeting, it, it's, a, it's very powerful. And this one's by um, Maya Angelou, one of those, well, what a great woman she Incredible was. Incredible woman. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Isn't that lovely? So true. In our agency, we talk about how you feel about brands and businesses. Yeah. How you feel about them. You know, you might think, oh, they're a good bargain or, I, you know, that's a great designer. But what is it that really makes you feel good? Yeah. And I reckon that's why that's the success of Greg's is people feel good going in there it has to feel good about that business yeah and businesses that behave well that good feeling goes through to customers and we're moving away from those big powerful i don't care about you brands or i don't care about my world into businesses that really have to be accountable and decent and actually go lightly through this world in a kind way I think he might give us a job. Is that how he left it? I can't remember. Do you think? What? He <laughs> might, think, he might think, give us a job. Yeah, do you think Greg? Roger will let us work there? Do you know what? That would be a really fun thing to do, spending <laughs> a day behind the counter at Greg's, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, you know, my first job was in a baker's, age, my Saturday job, age 15, and I used to have an orange nylon overall. It was hideous. And at the end of the day, you used to have to clean the shelves down, and I'd get all little breadcrumbs in my, in my skin, and I used to go across to Boots and get and French deep cleansing milk. <laughs> <laughs> to cleanse your skin. I bet you were cleanse trouble at that, Baker's. Skin. I was. I loved it. And you had to add up all on your own in your head. So there was no, no electronic tills. And someone would say, I have two dozen rolls. I have a split tin. I'll have the ice bun. And I'd be like, blah, 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 and you add it up and you'd be quick. It's fantastic. Happy day. Well, Mary, we're going to let you get back to your holiday um, since you've worked very hard this year. And I am going to have to call you again next week. So just, just a really heads up kind. on that. I'm really looking forward to it, Emily. Have I am really. Good. Big love. Have a lovely Big day. Love. Bye. Spread the kindness. Bye. Bye.